Welcome to There Is More To Our Story podcast, brought to you by Salty Gathering, a non-profit research house, event space, magazine, and now podcast. It is here we get to share the voices of indigenous leaders, medicine women, knowledge keepers, academics, researchers, activists and speakers contributing to this knowledge weaving space, gaining a better understanding of who we are, where we have come from and where we can go to next. You can join us deeper inside of our Soul Seed House. Here we are providing the most comprehensive library of deep feminine and earth-based knowledge, inviting people to become the researcher of their own stories, their own lineage and their own ancestry, radically shifting the academic model of researchers going to study other people as outsiders. You can also join us for one of our events. We have a traveling yearly gathering that moves to a new country and culture each time by invitation. We'll be returning in the fall of 2021. You can also join us for one of our events, our retreats here in Costa Rica called Medicine is Our Nature. All information will be shared first for Soul Seed House members, but keep checking back to the website for all updates. And if you'd like to become a supporter of this work, then consider joining our Patreon community for as little as a dollar a month. You can also support by one-time donation directly on the website or consider becoming a Patreon Bloom Fund member. It is here you get to contribute a substantial amount to a research focus theme country or culture a place where we need to bring greater awareness to and a place that is usually underfunded we're so incredibly honored and grateful for all the support we've gathered on this journey so far my name is hannah ruth dyson founder of salty gathering and i'm so excited to embark on this journey together with you let's begin Hello and welcome to episode six. This week I am joined by Bruce Parry. You might remember Bruce from the series Tribe on the BBC. He explores tribes from all over the world in remote areas. And it's during this series that in one of his last encounters, meetings with people in Borneo, the Penan people in particular, that he really uh, felt a change. He felt really moved within and he couldn't quite put a finger on what that was, what was so different about these people. And so he returns to meet with them and begins this film project, Tawai, which I can't recommend enough. In fact, if you can, pause right now and find it with a link below. You can rent or purchase it from his website and enjoy this beautiful meditative film really exploring um, the sort of way of life of these people and really looking at this sort of egalitarian way that is possible for us humans to organize ourselves in. I also recommend checking out the website and go under the section next and you can discover his trip with his brother to experience ayahuasca it's a beautiful little insight to that medicine and then also uh, his journey going to the Benjeli people in Africa and really um, 
discovering another sort of egalitarian way through rich ceremonies and rituals that really maintain this way of life. And we talk about that in this episode. So you can find those clips for free and they're on YouTube, um, but you can find them through his website directly. And this is a beautiful continuation from last week's episode with Rian Eisler, where we look to the deep history, the deep feminine, this egalitarian way of life that really we lived for most of our human history and just knowing that this is possible and that this still exists today is so powerful because we've been taught that talking about peace is kind of this naive idealistic thing I feel like it's really been ingrained into us that we are warfaring people that we live in hierarchies that we've lived in this dominator way and actually to learn that this is not the truth this is not who we are there are other ways of living is so powerful and so needed at this time when we're trying to reimagine a better future for all and yeah if you've enjoyed this episode or enjoyed this podcast so far please rate review subscribe share with any friends and loved ones it really helps us We are a very small organization with a limited budget. And so all of your help, five-star reviews, recommendations to friends, it really helps get the word out there and allows this podcast to grow alongside us. And one final thing is we are now on Clubhouse. So if you're already on there, come find me. I'm at Hannah Ruth Dyson. We're going to be beginning these weekly conversations, expanding from this podcast, sharing our research from the Soul Seed House, talking to subjects like plant medicine, mental health, sexuality, money, relationships, travel, and bringing in different guests to join us there also. If you're not there already, I think it'll open up to the public in a few months' time and hopefully we'll be in a good flow at that point. Um, But yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. Sending so much love to wherever you are in the world. Well, hi, Bruce. Welcome to the podcast. Wow, Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, um, the first question I begin with every guest is you're just speaking about your ancestry. If you have anything to share, anything you would like to speak to about your, yeah, where you come from. Wow, girl, that's an interesting one I wasn't (laughs) expecting. Um, Well, I actually did a genetics test recently and I'm, it seems that I'm very British. I was really hoping to be like pan global or or having some Neanderthal or something, but it doesn't seem to have much of that at all. Um, but I am, I am, so that's like, you know, the scientific genetics perspective, but but I am very interested in ancestry, not um, in the way that lots of people are genealogically, but more the, the sort of spirits of the ancestors and their potency I'm, a, I'm a, quite a big fan of a guy called Stephen Jenkinson, who you may have heard of, who, who wrote a book called yes. Die Wise. Uh, I've sort of enrolled in one of his courses and I've been attending some of his gatherings. And um, he speaks very beautifully about ancestry. And he, he would never be so crass as to sum anything up in a few words. He's such a beautiful storyteller and he likes to conjure a feeling rather than give explicit... Uh, anecdote or explanation but what I've what I've gathered from him is something really beautiful about bringing the ancestors into our daily lives to remember them as if they're still here 
to talk of them as if they're still here. And that, if we can do that as a practice, that uh, does something to us when we come to our own time of passing. When it comes to our time of passing in the sort of society we live in now, we look forwards to where we're going and ultimately we're looking back to where we've come from and, the, and to, to meet those people that were there before us. And we realise that by and large they're forgotten and that maybe this has some deep la la layer of anxiety that we're all carrying because we know that when we pass, our society forgets us. But if you live in a kind of society that remembers and holds and talks as if they're still with us, and especially a type of society where everyone is a collective, then there is no fear of passing when you go because you know you're going to be joining all the others that are remembered and celebrated and part of the daily life and ritual. And uh, I think there's something really beautiful about that. So beautiful. And it's something so many cultures actually have, but our culture, British culture, is kind of cut off from a little bit. We don't really, well, one, we don't talk about death so well and we don't talk about aging so well and then yeah we don't have a great ritual around remembering our ancestors but we did at one point like not that far back in our own sort of indigenous ancestry and somehow like I don't know like you I, I could imagine just being inspired by different indigenous groups around the world it's like what can we reclaim through our own roots it's such an interesting exploration and one that's never going to be complete or perfect or is a lot of Absolutely. digging you have to do. Yeah, yeah and ultimately come to a place of, of acceptance. Uh, and that's where I'm at really in a way. It's like, you know, we, there's all sorts of narratives and stories that have been carried forwards by our own parents and grandparents and, and those that came before us and sort of stabs in the dark at the best answer for these these big questions but you know there's so many narratives and beliefs out there that it's really hard to know which to grapple with and I'm, I'm in a place really of letting go of them all to see which ones offer me the greatest solace and also not solace so much sorry offer me the greatest way of going forwards in the world and uh, being able to achieve the greatest amount of harmony yeah. and when I think of some of the really old stories about things like ancestors, like the one I told you of, of, of like talking to them as if they're present, that does something to us. It means that we don't have that um, agitation to, to have a life to be remembered, to become famous, to build a statue, or you, know, you, you don't have that anxiety beneath the surface. And the other thing as well is that I really like, I really like um, the notion of being um, subsumed into the earth and becoming the earth and then becoming the trees and the foliage and everything and the mountains that is around us. And I think this also is really is something that I'm really interested in with ancestry as well. It's like, you know, knowing you're of a place and knowing that, the, 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 that you will be also of that place when you go and that you will be with your the next generations, you know, the, the, the people who come after you in that place. It is a very localised feeling and I think there's something in that. Um, and I really, I really like, yeah, I, I really think that, that, that we forget as well, you know, with 
the way the world is, we're all so displaced. But actually to try and find that again, where we can literally be in the ground to become the tree, to become the fruit that feeds the next generations. And the next generations can literally eat of that and listen to the words of the mountains and the trees and know that that they are part of this cycle of life and death and they will one day also become part of that cycle and it's beautiful. There's nothing to fear. You know, I was just watching a documentary on Netflix recently with about the Egyptians, um, Egyptians mum, the mummies and sort of like Egyptology and all that. And it was making me also think about the kings and queens of of our own nation, how they're all embalmed, you know. It's like they're... they're and also, like, with all the preservatives that we're eating in our society, that so many of us are not going to rot. We're, we're just, like, we're just, <laughs> we're just not going to rot, you know, unless we're burnt and cremated. But you're stuck in the ground, you know, you're just going to stay in this, like, preserved space. And in a sense, I was just thinking, I was looking at this image. I mean, literally, just before you called, I was watching this doc of these mummies thinking, God, you know, that is hell in a way. You haven't become part of the cycle. Mm. You've stepped out. And it's so ironic that the kings and the queens and all the people, the highest, are the ones who created the worst life for them in the afterlife. Yeah. And how much nicer to just be part of the, the masses and to just go back into the earth and, and just melt and be a part of it and, and then be part of the living world going forwards rather than being mummified. I mean, that's just the last thing you want. Uh, mm. and I don't know. It was just, I mean, I don't, I've never had this thought before. It literally only came to me, um, you know, in the last half hour. But there you are. I'm just sharing where I'm at. <laughs> well, it's so beautiful to belong, to really centre ourselves, like, with nature, like, belonging to nature as we are nature, whereas... Uh, you probably had a similar schooling to me where we're we're sort of conditioned and raised to be entirely separate and above. And what has that journey been? I mean, through your whole, all your work, like, has it just been a slow sort of welcoming back home into nature? Or has it been something you've always had also from the beginning? I've been very lucky in that I did grow up in nature. But of course, I am a product of our society and a, and a science-based sort of material science narrative, and and also experiencing the world through that paradigm and and not being very adept at having these sort of more nuanced or more um, subtle uh, out-of-body experiences or anything. I know some people do have them when they're quite young. I didn't. I was very much in my head. Um, like I think a lot of us are. So this whole idea of of being nature and this whole idea of feeling it and feeling an empathy for nature and really diving into that in the deeper level, I guess that didn't really happen to me until I started taking psychedelics. I think that because um, I did that before I learned how to meditate and there was nothing in my life before that had, that had shocked me or knocked me out of the paradigm. And, I, you know, that isn't just... Um, I mean, we can go into that story later if you want, but it's like, uh, no, I think that that was the first step of me realising, oh, wow, okay, all this stuff that I thought I knew, just, <laughs> that doesn't make sense now. <laughs> I've got to rethink all of this. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it took me many years to come to some sort of a deeper understanding of what those things might be. But it was definitely, for me, the first step of, of the... Uh, exploration, I guess.
Yeah, that's it. It's so amazing that we have access to psychedelics because it really does give you that experiential like um, thing. Because just to hear it, just it could sound so nice, like poetry to be part of nature or to be one or all of those things. It is not until you have that full experience of a lot more than the material realm that uh yeah you try and piece that back together and then you recognize i mean you had the amazing privilege to visit so many different tribes and so on who have that really embedded in their culture in their way of knowing in their way of life so it's not this i think i started psychedelics in the uk and it was a little bit strange to come back to earth because <laughs> it was like a separate it was a separate thing and I um you're you're based in Wales right now and I I do treasure having grown up in Wales because there is there was enough there within the culture of still people who are connected very much to the land and to the spirits and to the fairies I remember going on these like nature walks with like a Gandalf's type guy leading us on these storytelling adventures and I think it's planted enough seeds in my consciousness to like come back to and never go too far away from but yeah how has that how has that journey been to like integrate that into life from psychedelics yeah well before I answer that I'm curious are you well speaking well <laughs> we had to it's compulsory for for um I don't know how, I think I was 14 when we stopped and I actually did pretty well in Welsh and I, I loved it on one hand, but it was kind of the joke class, unfortunately, we never took it seriously and, but the language is incredible and I actually, <laughs> I actually had a, not too long ago, a, a sort of plant medicine experience where I got the message to return back to learning Welsh. Wow. <laughs> so that was a little message that I felt like, okay. That would be something that would be really beautiful to, yeah. yeah those people to. I know who live here who are Welsh first language, you know, they've definitely, the way they think, the way they interact with each other, I mean, it is a different paradigm to us and our quite sort of staccato English, which is a really separating language. I think that a lot of the more romantic languages, even like, you know, the ones, even the ones that we have in Europe, the more descriptive, they... They definitely allow for a different sense of feeling. I think that all of these things are so powerful in, in how we experience the world, language being one of the many different ways that we can experience the world. But to go to your question, yeah, um, yeah I, you know, I started out still very strong in the sort of scientific Western paradigm. And, like, and so even though I had these experiences of out-of-body, sort of like connected, holistic sort of, ego dis dissolution type experience i i remember going to meet my friend chris van Tullican, who's an amazing doctor he's on tv as well he's quite well known and sort of saying to him you know all of this stuff about what i did and he's like well, don't be an idiot mate you were just taking a drug you know and it was quite easy <laughs> to just then go oh that's all it was and stick it in a box and kind of forget about it because otherwise you can spend all your life wondering what on earth's going on and there's very hard until you've come across some of these other um, philosophies, let's say, um, to know what to do with that. So I, I was able to just stick it in a box. And I tell you another big step. I mean, you're going to drag it all out of me probably because there have been a number <laughs> of little steps along the way. But one of the really big ones for me was actually watching Jill Bolt Taylor 
um, give her TED Talk, um, which is, I think, one of the, the most viewed TED Talks of all time. It's a, it's a talk called My Stroke of Insight. And uh, I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard it already. But if you haven't, you must go, because it was a big moment for me. Um, and basically, this, this wonderful woman who's a brain scientist, um, uh, and she, I think she's a brain anatomist or something. But anyway, she's, she knows the brain inside out. And then she has a stroke and she survives uh, and it takes her 10 years to recover. But when you hear her giving her talk, she basically describes what it's like to go through having a stroke. And in that process... She, I mean, <laughs> she goes, oh, my God, how exciting. I'm a doctor getting to see what it's like to, to have a stroke from the inside, you know. So she goes through this journey of losing all of her motor function and, and basically completely um, having all sorts of um, uh, physical difficulties as a result of the stroke. But at the same time, she enters into basically... Um, uh, a egoless, voiceless, unified state uh, and of unity consciousness. And so she basically enters into this blissful arena of full connection where the voice just disappears and she's experiencing everything as is uh, and then coming back out of it and then and then like having this sort of like the normal reality and then her realising, God, I've got a stroke, I've got to call people and then slipping back into this extraordinary unity consciousness and she basically as a scientist describes this this whole journey and in it she then describes what's happening between the hemispheres because she's got a um she's basically had a uh a blood uh uh clot or something in the language center of her left hemisphere and so during the course of this talk she describes and this was the first time i'd ever heard of it the differences between the hemispheres and how basically that stroke closed down the language in her left hemisphere, allowing for her to finally have this silence where she could experience all that is. And that was the first time I heard about uh, about the, the sort of like how the hemispheres may play a role in this. Because I just remember hearing this talk and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's <laughs> the experience I had when I was drinking a bogo with the bobongo in in you know in Gabon that's the experience I had when I was like and it, it was just mind-blowing for me because this woman who was a, as a scientist someone I could look up to and respect describing my experience from the perspective of the sort of like the material paradigm you know mm. and I was like oh my god this is it and that set me on my trail of, of sort of like going further into this sort of journey of discovery which ultimately led me to the door of Ian McGilchrist who features in the in the film that I made mm -hmm. um and that was it it was it was thanks to Jill that I came across Ian because I was like there's something in that 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 I don't know how many other people have had experiences like that but I have I felt that that's real to me and science hasn't given me a good answer to it other than my friend saying stick it in the box it's nothing now, finally, I can take the lid off that box and look at it and go, here's an answer to the experience that I've had. My God, let's have a bit more of that. I love that part of the film because I, I mean, in spiritual circles or like in yoga, or people often talk about your feminine and your masculine side. And that's it's it's still said as a kind of um, 
that's that's what's going on with the hemispheres of your brain. And I remember <laughs> this was quite a few years ago, but my uncle being like, oh, that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> that was disproven by science and there's no there's nothing in that. So to come across um, Ian's take on it in your film was so fascinating and really resonated in terms of like that well there is something there with how we process information and could you speak a little bit about his like his discoveries for the for the listeners his, his new his new book is about to come out actually I'm very excited uh, I, cool. I, I already read a couple of chapters that he was very sweet to send to me and um, we've struck up a friendship and I uh, uh, I mean like <laughs> he, he he is just one of the most extraordinary people on the planet I think and I genuinely think that his insight in this area answers to so much of these questions that we have. And of course, lots of people aren't having these questions because perhaps they haven't had these sorts of experiences that need to have these questions be asked. But for anyone that does, I mean, there's obviously a lot of spiritual teachings, but a lot of them are quite rarefied. And I've, and I've, and I've never found the thread that brings the, the relationship between them also to this material plane. And, and finally, here's someone that can basically answer in the material realm something about these other otherly experiences. And I'm like, okay, this is what I need. Because I always see myself as a communicator and I want to try and bring us all into connection with that, with, the, with this unity consciousness and with this sort of understanding that we are part of the whole and we need to experience the whole and feel it more deeply and all these sorts of things. And also, you know, having learned how to meditate and realizing how powerful that is a tool, also giving explanation for it without having to go down the rabbit hole necessarily of some of the doctrines that come along with it, which can take you away from the material realm again. It's like, no, 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 here's something that can bring you into balance. Here's something you can have both. You can have both. And that's why I like what Ian says at the end of our film. It's like, you know, he describes... um, Yeah, he describes basically consciousness basically as perhaps being um, having different phases whereby it can be the same thing but having different forms or phases. So like ice, for example, water can be ice, it could be water vapour, it can also be flowing water and maybe consciousness has these different forms. So it can be solid like me, it could also be flowing, it can also be the space between us and that allows for... A, perhaps an understanding of the difference between the material realms and then also a lot of the East, especially Eastern spiritual doctrines, which sort of like deny the material and it's all about spirit. And then we sort of deny the spirit, it's all about material. <laughs> but here's an answer maybe where we can have both. And I think we need to have both because that's yeah. that's that's what speaks to our experience. You know, it's, it's madness to me to deny my material experience. It's like, this is why I'm here and, and it's beautiful and yeah. I... I don't want to deny that. And yet I'd also don't want to deny my amazing experiences of, of the sort of like deep connection. I want both. Yeah, somehow you want to find that middle path where you can never lose sight of either. And um, I loved it, just his explanation of like, say, the left hemisphere of the brain being kind of how you process information sort of um, like on a conveyor belt nearly. So which is our modern world where you feel like you're an expert or you know it all. And just the way we've been so conditioned through schooling and media and everything is just framing that kind of mind. Whereas 
the right hemisphere is like that more expansive oneness, interconnectedness, which you 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 show so beautifully with the Penan in the in Borneo, like how you have to survive with an acknowledgement of everything being so connected and um yeah it's it's like how to break through to the collective because like you I'm also interested in like not just preaching to the converted but like how to get through to the collective and I just watched I mean I you know several years after you've released it I watched your beautiful film uh, not long ago and I was so it was exactly the kind of film you know I would love to make or I feel connected to and it's like speaking in the way that I would love to communicate and then I just (laughs) I just read like several of the reviews from the UK that came out at the time that were like so cynical and so like it really broke my heart after because I was like that's where I'm from (laughs) and that's where it's not not in any way kind of saying anything about the film, but it just shows the consciousness of the people writing it and where they're at. And that kind of British cynicism is so like, oh, like hard to take, especially when you've experienced such depth and beauty through these people and also just through just experiences like outside of that material realm. Um, how, like, how do you feel the collective is right now in the UK and... How is that, yeah, how has the reception in general been sort of more as it's sort of continued Uh, on? Thank you. Um, Well, I'm not following it much at the moment. Um, It's uh, it's kind of, I I put it into the world to do its thing and and it, it definitely is finding its way slowly. I mean, its time hasn't come yet in a way, I think. Um, Yeah. But... You know, I, we, we spent so much time and effort, I mean, like, year, years trying to find the right language so that we didn't basically trigger people too early, so we didn't have people turning off and calling it woo-woo nonsense and trying not to make any absolutes, trying not to have any sort of red flag words that, that were triggering people. You know, all of this stuff was so much time and effort. And yet, still at the same time, there's so many people who just like won't listen to a sadhu because they don't do any work or they won't listen to it. You know, it's like, they, it's very hard. There's some people who, who just are unwilling to hear um, stuff, even from the likes of, you know, Ian McGilchrist, who's you know, three times elected to All Souls College, the most prestigious intellectual place on the planet, probably. Um, so, you know, so it's hard to break through uh, but that's okay you know but it, where where am i at with it is well you know funnily enough um having left the bbc and then spent sort of 10 years making a film with all the money i needed and all the capacity i needed to say whatever i wanted and then that not really going very far because i didn't have the weight of the bbc behind me and you know, the whole going into the, the cinema world and all the rest of it. It's a different baby, you know, because you're not transmitting into people's living rooms where they, you know, where it's just being delivered to them. You, you, you're you putting in these platforms where people have to choose to watch it. Um, well, obviously, you still do at home anyway, but it's a different thing when you actually have to go to the cinema or you have to find it online or whatever. So, um so in a sense, I, I have been mostly just preaching to the converted. And, and unless you have a lot of money behind you to do a big campaign, you're just you're only going to get out there through the word of mouth. And so, 
it's so it's been a really different sort of experience for me um, putting that film out. And the other thing as well that I've realised is actually even when I do get people's attention, because the other thing, there's a number of things that have come out from the film. When I was making it, I was living in Ibiza, which is actually a very rarefied space. Um, and some of the best teachings and learnings and what most wonderful moments of my life have been that island. I adore it so much, but it is very... Um, it's it's a hippie kingdom, you know, and so a lot of the essence of the film is in is coming from that. It's a, it, of all the things I learned in my journey, I wanted the sort of connection, the spirit, the the consciousness element to be the biggest thing. But weirdly, now that I've moved back to the UK, I've 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 let go of that a little bit, and I'm more interested in talking about. Um, egalitarianism which is also touched on in the film but it's not the the main thrust of the film the main thrust of the film is more spirit-based I guess um and and so that's kind of what I'm writing and and lecturing and talking about more now uh it feels more grounded in a way and and yet weirdly you know the 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 film is in a sense I guess is the first step the first step it's trying to break that left hemisphere it's trying to break the patriarchy it's trying to break the sort of the the fixed mind to allow for something else and then after that it's like opening up into allow you know allowing yourself to potentially go out and start having a deeper feeling allowing yourself to go out and start the journey of feeling more deeply and expanding your sense of empathy out into the world and um, and bringing those other elements in, um, and with that, I'm I'm giving these talks and, and getting excited about um, what I learned about uh, this egalitarian space. So you know they're all in there. I mean, it's a rich film, but you yeah. kind of probably have to watch it about three times to get half of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a slow moving film. Like I said, I loved it. Um so much and actually that's how I came to it because I've been uh, my journey has begun was first with looking at uh, predominantly prehistory and just in this personal quest of like what is the female side of the story and what is you know this vast amount of history that was also not taught to me in school or ever shown really in media and what is all of this so that was kind of my beginning trajectory and learning more and more that actually we had huge sections of history which were egalitarian and there's no signs of war. Whereas in school, I was very much given the impression that we've always been at war. We're warring. That's what humans are innately. Men have always been dominant. This is just the way we are. And that is very um, scary for what we believe is possible for the future. And breaking that apart in my own paradigm of like, well, actually, if you look at the archaeological record, it's not even factual. And actually, there's a huge, you know, huge evidence that we have lived. Yeah, again, like this sort of egalitarian way. And then five years ago, I sort of started to like history started to connect more and more with present day indigenous tribes, specifically with women and elders who also remembered within different tribes when there was more balance within their own tribes, that they also saw shifts of men becoming more dominant where they remember still not that far back compared to maybe our generations who I think have largely forgotten that there was ever like a time like that. 
And so this has been my whole quest with my work, with my project of like, okay, that, that there is more to our story here. There's like more than what we've been sold or taught or told in media and school and constantly are conditioned by. And then just hearing you in an interview just mention like how different it was to meet the Penan people and then like that experience of egalitarianism was exactly what drew me to the film because I was like, wow, this is like something that I hadn't heard someone else communicating up until that point um, in that space. So yeah, um, thank you for, for doing this work. And I do think it's still going to find its time because I think a lot of things are breaking apart right now in terms of questioning what do we really need in a society and what do what could actually benefit us from not just uh, trying to survive here, but thrive and experience something a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, well, one first I wanted to ask, how are your friends, the Penan people today, and are you still in touch at all? Yeah, wow, God, there's so much I want to talk to you about, um, but I'll answer, I'll answer your direct question first is... Um, I am in touch with them. I haven't been, you know, for a little while recently, but I have been out to see them um, twice since making the film. They're struggling. Their land is, you know, they, they have no protection for their land and the, the, the sort of next round of logging is imminent. Um, they have reluctantly started to send their kids to school, which is probably the worst thing. Um, but But... It, it was so hard to sit, to go there and visit them and then hear them say that in the knowledge that they're making that decision because they feel it's the best thing to do. And I was left with this extraordinary sense of how should I inter should I interfere here? What what what's my role? Because sending their kids to school will probably be the the severance of that deeper connection. And the beginning of the shift to the left hemisphere and the, the yes. all of those things will happen in that conditioning. Um, and as well as all the skills and knowledge, but more important than anything is the feeling and the sense that will go as a, as a result of moving more energy into the brain and less in the body. Um, and so in that sense, the, the, it's incredibly sad. They are more settled now. The young kids have got motorbikes and they're out um, zooming around the place that they were given given them by the local um, gas pipeline maker. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're going through a transition. I mean, they've been going through a transition since I've met them, so it's not new. But, um, yeah, they're struggling. Um, but they're well in themselves. They're well in themselves. They're healthy and they're, they're just doing what they can in the face of this sort of like tidal wave coming their way. So um, it's, it's huge for people, I think, to hear because I also grew up with the nonprofit space of, you know, providing education is one of the best things we could do for, you know, the so-called developing world. And I found that alongside missionary work to be some of the, the scariest attacks on people's consciousness and ways of life and it's not talked about enough <laughs> like this is actually a huge part of colonization that's still taking oh, place i mean it's massive the evangelists have moved in as well that's the other thing i forgot to mention yeah the evangelists are like there and have changed already changed a lot yeah i mean it's it's the way of 
it's the way that it, it happens for so many of our wonderful cousins around the world. And I just feel incredibly privileged that I've managed to touch a few before it came to them. But like th these are the last, some of the very, very last who are still holding on to something. And they desperately want to hold on to their sort of their sharing culture and what have you. But the, judging by their relatives who have settled, it's harder and harder to hold on to as you settle more and what have you. I mean, they can, and I think they might well be able to. As you said yourself, you know, you can carry that type of egalitarian way into, like, quite complex civilizations. Um, it yeah. is possible, but but it, it's, um, it needs real perseverance. I was going to ask, did you ever watch the... Um, the sort of the outtake that I that I made. Okay, the one called the Ben the Ben Jelly one. Yeah, in the Congo. In yeah. the Congo, yes. yes. Okay, good, yes. good, good. Because I was, I mean, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Because like, yes, please. One of the things you were being so sweet about the film, and of course, in the film, one of the things that's really missing is the female voice. And I know this whole podcast and what you're trying to what you know the direction that hopefully that we're going to go now in this film in this chat is about um uh this this other way of being uh, and um and this other paradigm that i think was actually our main way of living together for 95 percent of our time on the planet you know i think that 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 is how we best operate um and that's the best, like, I, I said that to a, a new friend to last night, actually, because she's like, I don't even really have a concept of history or like, you know, the stages of history or so on. I said, well, if it if you think that it was actually 95% of our human experience and she was like, wow, like, I think that's such a great way of like, really like this, this like modern experiment is such a small percentage of our human experience. Yeah, it's huge. I think it is. It's like, it, it, absolutely. These are the things that like break through and you're like, okay, yes. Yeah, so all of history and then all of prehistory that we know of is like a blip. And then you've got, um, you know, uh, then you've got basically pre-agriculture and the pre-Neolithic period. And then these few groups who still experience express a way of being that relates to that and then you suddenly start seeing the picture and it took me a long time to figure it out um, when I first met the Panan I knew there was something very unique about them but I couldn't see what it was it was like I mean they look like nearly every other tribe that I visited they're wearing t-shirts they're smoking that you know they're connected to the outside world they they have a fiscal understanding they've watched tv you know they're they're modern people like we are, and yet there was something completely different about them. And only years later, having done lots of research and then meeting people like Jerome Lewis and Ingrid Lewis and learning from them, did I suddenly realise what it was that had affected me so deeply. And it was weird, you know, I know other people that have visited the Penan and haven't had the same experience as me, but I think that in some ways it was because I'd lived with so many other tribes that I could tell the subtle difference. It's like, now I've traveled the world and I've done this very thing of meeting groups and living with them all over. And I've and lived with amazing people and, and had the most extraordinary privileges. But by and large, they were all beneath all of the, um, the flamboyant differences and taking into account as well all the wonderful 
things that are different that we can learn from them. At the end of the day, beneath it all, I noticed that actually they were all struggling with a lot of the same problems that we had, which was essentially hierarchy and power and all of the imbalances and, and the rise very often of patriarchy within so many of these different groups. Um, uh, and so I just kind of was left thinking, well, we're all doomed. We're all the same. You know, this is just part of who we are. And then I met the Panan and it was like, no, there's something totally different going on here. There's something totally different. And it was only when I met Jerome and Ingrid and, and started sort of unpicking it and reading all of the anthropology on it that I realized, wow, that's what it was. They, they, they're not competing. They're existing in a paradigm where they basically ruled out any form of competing. But of course, that's invisible. That's why I couldn't put my finger on it. You don't, you can't see it. It's just not there. It's like, and that's why I, it was almost like I felt like there was a part of myself that wasn't, that normally whenever I would go somewhere, I would find myself within this pecking order and you figure out who you are and where you're at and all the rest of it. And, you know, obviously I'm a visitor, so it's quite hard to do that in real terms, but still it's just part of my interaction is just seeing where I'm at. And, and yet there it wasn't present. It was, there's no place for it. And that also happened when I went to visit the Benjeli, which is this group that didn't make it into the film. But they're on the, the website, which we can talk about later, as a sort of outtake. Um, and uh, and there, you, there you see it even more clearly, is what Jerome, uh, Jerome and Ingrid tell me when I'm in the film. And, I, and they say, no, being in a, an egalitarian society is hard work. It takes a lot of constant work on all sorts of levels, ritual, um, spiritual, political, economic economic that all of these levels you've got to be working constantly to be able to maintain this but with the panan you hardly see it because they're so adept they're all just super chilled basically but when i went to go and visit the benjeli then you suddenly see it realize oh wow these are the tools that they have this is how they're doing that this is how they're maintaining the balance and of course one of the biggest things is um is the role of the women you know, and I think that's what Ingrid says so beautifully when we're in London and then you see it with the women in in the Congo. And it really saddens me that I didn't make that point more clearly in the film um, because uh, basically we had that whole thing in the Congo at the end of the film and then we did some screenings and um, and I came up against quite a lot of resistance I came up against quite a lot of people who were triggered by it, especially as you have this sort of, this sort of like, um, you know, binary view of sex and gender and all of this sort of stuff. It's very strong in it. And basically on, at the end of what was already an incredibly deep and rich film about spirit and all this sort of stuff to have this, but at the end, which was like highlighting that probably I think, and, and I say this quite often, the biggest lesson, the biggest insight I've had of all of my journeys was this story about the women, was this story about uh, how the tools that we need to be able to maintain balance in society. And yet I took it out. I ended up taking it out. And it left the sort of the main feature with very little female voice, sadly. Um, but even though it was this most potent thing that I've learned, but, it, but the way I describe it to myself now is it's like the, the film is more like sort of like unlocking 
the left hemisphere. It's like sort of like softening us so that we're ready for this other deeper message, um, which yeah. is why I always try and get people to watch that outtake if they can. Yeah, and I'll I'll link it with this podcast and encourage everyone to watch it. But it's so, uh, yeah, it's so powerful to watch these women <laughs> like uh, basically mocking the men like sexually and just uh, through this like art form of dance and song and just um, making it clear that they are still at the center, it seemed like, of the tribe. Like we are here with a strong voice and how how powerful that is. I mean, inspiring, of course, for for women but it, yeah I mean that's it's been my whole work coming up against that um cynicism so I completely understand that like you know you you can have the largest amount of archaeological evidence of whole societies where actually there's only female figurines that have been worshipped <laughs> and still it'll be like well maybe they were pornographic idols or maybe they were <laughs> like just this like toy for children or it's just so bizarre because the evidence is clear but our our minds have been again so conditioned so yeah it's it's still seen as this fantasy and and we're we're kind of converging because the amount, like since I began my sort of journey, the amount of, I would say, divine feminine spirituality that's now popular about goddesses and witches and priestesses and all that. And now like recognizing, oh, there's actually roots in reality, which is what my work is about. And then also looking to indigenous tribes of just understanding, because I, I was also raised with the sense of we are developed and they're developing and they're part of our past and they're going to die out and th this is just the way it is. And when you start to wake up and realize like <laughs> some of the elders I've sat with, the female elders, um, are some of the most empowered, strong, like sense of self, boundaries, like, uh, like have everything that people are trying to teach through women's empowerment you know we need to have some of these aspects to kind of have a voice and to be respected and so forth like these women have like it's already within them so there's something to um learn from and not put above or below or anything else but just recognize we have things to learn from one another so even just talking about this tribe that i had never heard of in the congo it's so um powerful for people to just plant a seed in the consciousness of like you know oh that exists somewhere <laughs> i mean the the benjeli are honestly the most interesting group of people i've met and as you know i've been very lucky i've been around and i've 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 met some extraordinary groups of people around the world but the, the there's something about them that um answered so much of this sort of investigative journey for me and the fact that Jerome and Ingrid and also the, the wonderful Chris Knight and Camilla Power as well they're also anthropologists at the Radical Anthropology Group who uh, who are based in London um, the the work that they've done on, on so much of this it was just like it was just so wonderful to touch touch into and realize that you know, that they had suddenly began to find answers to so many of these extraordinary sort of mysteries. And one of the biggest things that you that, that I saw when I was with the, the Benjeli, I was lucky enough that that they did this quite rare ritual called the uh, Ejengi. And uh, it's in it's in the film, the little the the 20 minute like outtake. 
But I'll describe it in more detail if I may, because it's so fascinating. And and the way it's described to me and the way that through Jerome interpreting, they're saying to me, it's like this, this ritual here is the beginnings of our society. This is the beginnings of time, they describe it. And like, um, and what they say is, uh, this is the, this, a Jengi spirit is going to come into the town and this is the spirit by which we, the, the women became pregnant in the early days. And our job is to like hold it and keep it away from the women. Um, and this, this, you'll see this ritual. And then in comes this Jengi spirit, which is, um, which, which looks like a, basically a big phallic penis that goes up and down and spins around and it's a like leafy thing that's going on. Um, and, um, and I, I, because I've been initiated into this uh, ritual to two levels of the four levels that you can be initiated, I've sort of been behind the scenes to see in the men's area where they're preparing for all and, you know, and I can tell you it is a spirit. Um, and that's quite a weird thing that we can maybe go into later um but uh th- this is the the this sort of like this creature that comes out and starts dancing around anyway the sort of like the long and short of it according to jerome and it makes sense to me when you're there is that this is a reenactment of the moment that the women came together in unison and said no to the alpha male and invited the other men to come in and live with them so whenever that might have been, a couple of hundred thousand years ago or whatever or before, um, and when you realise then that the, 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 the people of the Congo are probably are the, the, the oldest group of people on the planet alongside the, the different Bushman groups in southern Africa who are sort of like unbroken lineage of humankind that didn't leave Africa, they've been there. And 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 the, probably because the the pygmies of the Congo have have been able to hide more than the sand bushmen who've had a lot more interaction, been messed around with because they've been out in the Kalahari. That maybe this sort of the the I'm not that I'm dis- dismissing what the the, the sand bushmen have to offer, but they they obviously have a million wonderful things to offer too. But this particular ritual seems to only be held by the people of the Congo. And when you realise that they're probably our oldest ancestors in a way, are carrying this unbroken lineage from our oldest ancestors, let's say, um, and that here's this story that they're keeping alive, and it felt like the 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 story was that the women um, are, are coming together to say no to the alpha male, to invite the other men in, provided that they let go of their aggressive and competitive ways so that they men and women can live together in harmony and we're going to hold you to account to that agreement whenever we come together and so then thereafter they have these other rituals where the men get together and the women get together and the women true to their agreement um, hold the men to account if you've been a lazy lover if you've been aggressive if you've been you know stupid, whatever, the women hold the men to account. And it feels like that was the agreement struck then, all that time ago. When you think all of the other great apes, apart from the bonobos, all have this sort of high, uh, aggressive alpha male, all he does is fight off all the other guys, and then the harem of women. And we don't. 
and at some stage that that must have shifted and if this is really a memory of that moment and the agreement that was struck up and that's how we maintained this balance for all this time was the play between the sexes and then when you see the women the way that they hold the men to account then this is the this was the greatest insight for me it was like it's they're, they're not trying to challenge the men using the same quality of power that the men have so the men and you know we're entering into a discussion in a way that that is about um a binary view of sex and gender and so this is very much more embodied in them than it is where we are but um it's still a fascinating thing to to look at and and try and draw parallels i believe um but Yes, yeah, so the men are probably the ones who are more likely to bring about that level of aggression or competition in their society. So the women are holding them to account, but they don't do it by challenging the men head on because they would lose if they tried to fight. They would lose if they tried to compete. So what they do is they have their own quality of power, which is just as powerful and maybe even more powerful, which is laughing and song and teasing and joking and 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 playful ridicule but it's not the sort of playful ridicule that's trying to push people away or making people feel isolated it's like i'm laughing at you until you laugh with us until you come back in until you're part of the gang again we and laughter as chris knight has done some work on it's like one of the most powerful tools that we have and yet we see it as like so so ridiculous and and minimalistic in our sort of like patriarchal paradigm it's just seen as nothing but actually in the hands of half of society held correctly but not in a toxic masculinity way but in a loving we love you but you're misbehaving so we're going to tease you and make fun of you until you relax and join us again that to me was like the most extraordinary insight into how powerful these women were and how central they were to maintaining this balance within their society and um and it it was done lovingly you know it was strong and also beneath the beneath the surface was always this threat as like fuck around and you won't get any you know it's like yeah. there was the threat of the sexual strike you know but that only works yeah. when again all the women are together it's all about it's all about their solidarity and these this to me to be in that space and to sort of unpick that and go wow that is so far from the way that we're looking at the world today where we well, well I don't need to say it you know we we that's not how our world works um and to find to 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 put that story back into the world not for me to say what should or shouldn't happen what women should or shouldn't do but just to offer that story and it's like look at this look at this 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 worked this worked you know it's like it's i i have to i have to do that yeah it's so powerful i mean i can speak as a woman that I think you it's just um it's so heavy the conditioning we grew up with because everything is based on the the father god the father at the head of the table the father in office the father you know like the male is such a the the authority and so we have such a deep conditioning that that's what 
power is also and that's how it looks and I I, I mean I've had experiences because I've taken women to some of the communities that have you know touched me on my journey and some of the women specifically certain women elders who are still very much holding this strong lineage and it's amazing like for example in Colombia I always give this example because we were with the Kogi and I was told for a long time the men are the powerful ones. They're the spiritual leaders. They're the ones in charge, da, 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 da. And then I meet this woman, Hava Teresa, who's this seer. She's a medicine woman. And one of, I think, the, one of the most powerful people I've ever sat with. And we, we sat for a week in this gathering. And, you know, I experienced more than you could ever put to words. And it, a lot of it was not without words. It was without words. It was just sitting there and without plant medicine or psychedelics or anything it was just the experience of being with her and her daughter Malena and realizing at the end that you know some women had actually completely missed it like they hadn't seen it they hadn't recognized it they hadn't experienced what I had experienced and uh, they were asking for more they were expecting more from the whole experience and it was such a beautiful teaching moment because Milena the daughter just stood up and was like well if you want more here's the male mammo the shaman he's been waiting in the background just waiting to come into this women's gathering to tell you about your feminine experience and so then that happened and it was like so bizarre because it was like <laughs> nearly like this funny um mansplaining experience of like this is your feminine like, and he did a whole he did a whole show and a whole thing and I I mean I've met male mammals who felt very deeply authentic and you know true but I didn't feel it through this specific guy um, but it was just one of those moments I was like wow we can be so blind by our conditioning that we don't even recognize different powers or you know we could see like what you've experienced is probably part of your whole entire journey like you say some people have been to the Penan and didn't even notice that and it may be even going to the Congo and um, uh, seeing these kind of rituals wouldn't even quite, maybe it would plant something, but it would also seem a bit bizarre or a bit strange. Like, oh, is this something we want to start doing now? Making fun of men's like sexuality or laughing and coming together as a woman and like, and, and, and doing that. But I think it's part of breaking down, just even knowing that there's other ways of us being in relationship between men and women and, and women also having that power to so to come through all that conditioning and recognize oh, actually this doesn't have to be the way it is and I can just walk through the world differently I think we had a huge wave with me too movement of saying like no more of that but I think another wave and what we have to keep moving through is recognizing yeah we also have that power moment to moment to um to to come together more and to say you know no more in the moment rather than like expecting everyone else to change around us I don't know it's it's a sensitive topic because I know it's it's a huge force that can feel um like a you know attack on the feminine but I think women definitely coming together more and more and just remembering different parts of who they are coming back to our ancestors I feel like we had very strong ancestors if we look further back and um, reclaiming some of that in our lives is huge yeah wow what a lovely story about um, the Kogi I, I've been lucky to spend a fair bit of time there too and I 
I've had some of the greatest transmissions. It feels like that's what you had when you were there also with them. And, you know, I think at the heart of that story is, is this sort of sense of, of how we're receiving information, you know, and, and, um, and obviously we're all receiving information and, and, and perceiving the world differently anyway. But, uh, Definitely, if we're really conditioned into this sort of like left hemispheric sort of patriarchal paradigm, competitive, aggressive paradigm, this whole space that we're in now, that actually sometimes is, is only the, the mansplaining that makes sense. You know, it is, it is only for, for, for many people, you know, and that's really sad um, because, uh, and in a way, that's how I made the film. I tried to talk to that. I talked to the left hemisphere I wanted to unlock it um uh and yet you know when you can sort of break that hall of mirrors and allow something else in then this other information can can uh, can come in and you know for so long we've lived in this world where we've seen equality as sameness and that's mm-hmm. a real massive problem for us it's like we we think that equality is for us all to be the same, for us all to be in the boardroom with the men doing the things like to be the Margaret that it's like, no, that's, that's <laughs> not it. It's like that, that's, that's the opposite of what I learned when I was with the, the Benjeli and the Panan. It's like they, they celebrate difference. Difference is everyone is different. We're just respected the same. And also men and women in their worldview. And I, 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 I love what they say are different and they um and they have different qualities and those should be also celebrated and it's and it doesn't mean that one is less than or more than it's just everyone's respected the same but when you see how they play out in their society there's very different roles and very different qualities and powers you realize how far away we are from that um and I think yes, that's a big it, thing to put back into the world. It's like we don't all want to be like that. That's not what equality is. And that's why, you know, I, you you touched on something that made me think. It's like it, obviously I've also been on an incredibly difficult journey with this, um, trying as a white English male, you know, the, one of the worst <laughs> corners of our species, uh, who's had more problems, who created more problems on the planet than anyone else. Um, but to, to sort of navigate the language around this, and I, I often get it wrong, and I, I'm sorry for the times that I do. Um, but I, um, but I trust... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I was going to say, it's, it's good also a little bit to get it wrong out loud and for us to have a conversation about it because it's kind of imperfectly perfect we have to have these kind of conversations that can trigger or touch on things that are maybe in our blind spots as well yeah thank you well please do point out when i do trigger like i am desperately trying to learn my way through this really difficult sort of package of information that i have but i think um the thing i was going to offer earlier is i I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if they're sliding away from sort of binary views of sex and gender into a more sort of spectral one that the direction we're going is 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 a good thing or not a good thing. I, it's not for me to say. All I know is what I saw that worked mm-hmm. back then. 
And I don't want to be the person that tells anyone how they should feel about their own bodies or their feelings or any of those sorts of things. Um, I'm interested in finding a harmonious future for us all and offering insights. But I do, I do have huge faith that women coming together can find something. I think without men involved at all, <laughs> I, I, I think that that... I, I would just really love to know and feel what would come from that. Mm. that I, I don't, and I don't know what it would be, and it's not for me to say what it might be, but I trust it. Mm. I think there's there's something about what you talked about in terms of opening up the binary, at least through. Um, indigenous people who've you know held on to um, like two spirit or having actually in the spirit realm being connected to different gender and recognizing that you can embody different aspects of gender so that that becomes you open up the binary but I agree in terms I feel like we could have that as well as celebrating differences or celebrating what each individual feels called to with different roles and I I've been really um inspired recently by a book called Daughters of Mother Earth. And it's a collection of essays by different um, female elders across Tiddle Island. So now what we know as North America, speaking to what they remember through their historical lens, because often you hear of their history through what happened to them, through us. And they also point out how you know, that's also not just our history. That's one tiny blip in our history. We actually have this huge, vast history and it's it's powerful because they, they, they speak also how like, you know, even the museums that are created for us fixate on the Europeans coming over and this horrible moment of history. But that's not what we want to focus on when we talk about history and when we talk about uh, our way of life. But what I was, yeah, a couple of the things that you said, one was how important humor has always been for their way of life and a way of keeping people in check across the tribe. Um, how a lot of things are always resolved through humor before yeah, violence would become a thing. And actually how, while we have this image of the Native American um, fighting cowboys, actually that's a very rare, uh, that was kind of one aspect of you know some tribes but like most of the tribes actually didn't have vocabulary around war and actually didn't have I mean according to this this book and these women and they also the women held power by being in the kitchen and with the children but that was their place of power of the house and they had they were able to vote um people in and out of like the you know their authority like their sort of hierarchical structure that they did have within their tribes but it was very interesting because it was also this complex interweaving of like where power lies and it's spread and it comes through different things and it was huge i mean for me just to again expand beyond what feminism is and understand that like these women also say so beautifully like you know we your modern idea of feminism is a very poor substitute for what we had and what we lost and what we you know trying to reclaim because we don't want your ideal of what you just mentioned with the quality of like having the same roles having the same no we just want to regain our respect within our own people of the things that we are here to do and being in charge of the house and the food was actually a huge sign of respect and not 
which I grew up with this sense of like, oh God, I, I don't want to be, you know, the one doing the housework or cleaning or how, cause that would make me less. I'm not an empowered woman if that's what I, you know, want to go on. That was at least early on the sort of conditioning of feminism. So I think at least just learning more stories and more ways of life and different ways of seeing is everything. It's not really about a right or a wrong for the future, but let us stop bridging different ideas of how we could organize. Have you had fantasies about like how you would like to see things shift in the future? <laughs> uh, um, yes, many, very many. Um, yeah, it's. I, I was enjoying what you were saying there. It's um, you know that obviously North America and well, all of the Americas have have influenced us so much, um, and and yet, of course, they're also some of the newest groups. Uh, you know, it was only discovered ten thousand years ago. You know, when we got there, and so that. I don't think sort of the egalitarian story that I'm talked about ever made it across that way. Um, uh, and yet they found such beautiful cultures in their own right. And to sort of imagine what it must have been like going through like the Bering Straits and the Arctic and then coming down into all that abundance where no human had ever been before. I mean, what must that have been like? And well, that, that's an interesting, uh, something I haven't looked into deeply, but there's that's also being questioned now, isn't it? Like the be, like the crossing of the Bering Strait, like according to I think um, at least some of the indigenous people that I've spoken to or native people, they they have a different idea of their their roots as well. So it's interesting. Yeah, some yeah, of that. I, 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 I it's not an area that I yeah feel a, a need to debate. Um, massively, I mean, like obviously the archaeological evidence and the um, genetic evidence is saying one thing, mm. um, but uh, but but that's not my main thrust. It wouldn't. It, it's like you know, it's um, it's uh, well. Either way, there's some extraordinary insights that we can gain from from the people of the Americas as well as the indigenous peoples all over the world, you know, there's so much that we have to learn. We're, we're um, each of them have got something to teach us. Uh, yes. Yeah, what are, my, what, are my, what are my fantasies of things going forward? Well, a lot of it has, has stemmed from the Ben Jelly. You know, I do fantasize about, um, you know, it's, it, I think narrative is huge. I think it's, you know, I think it's one of the points that um, that book Sapiens made really clearly for lots of people is just how important narrative is to the way that humankind is different to other species and creates its um, types of society is that we can actually come together in huge amounts of numbers of people who've never met each other, but all because we have the same story. Like religions are a narrative that bring people together. It's like nationality is a narrative. People come together. Money is another one. It's like means nothing, but it's something that means everything it to to those who buy into it, which we all do. So all of these are just ways that we can come together with some unifying story. And at the moment, it feels to me like there is like a battleground for stories. It's like we've had 
was it communism versus capitalism for so long? And like, neither of those are working. We've got this sort of polarized views of left and right wing politics and all of these things that seem to be ever separating us. And yet uh, in, in the heart of that, when you really unpick what sort of like egalitarianism truly could do, like it's almost in its direct democracy, anarchical way, you're like, oh my God, here's an answer to everything if only people knew that it was possible. And yet all the other tools within that, the, the stuff we've talked about, the men and the women, but all the other tools as well about fully decentralizing and the fact that we're at this time in history where firstly we are now just beginning to become aware of these stories. You know, no other philosopher or religious leader has ever mentioned this sort of stuff. It's like, you know, if you look at Jesus or Lao Tzu or Muhammad or the Buddha or, or Confucius or any of these people, they'd all had a thousand or 800 years of civilization before them. So any narratives around egalitarianism was fully dis had disappeared. And all of them had a little sort of go at what the best way of humans living together could be. But they all had hierarchy of them within it. They were all like basically speaking from the place that they could. None of them could even conceive that, that we would have lived truly as equals for so long. I mean, it just it's never been mentioned. I think Rousseau is about the only person who got close to it. And, and so... And yet now it's beginning to become clear that that is our true past. And it's like, it, I've, I was saying it the other day, it felt to me like, you know, the Sistine Chapel, you've got the fingers touching at the top. It feels to me like this sort of like the oldest moment in history is now catching up with us at this time that we need it most. It's like, wow, what, 95% of our time on the planet, we existed in this way and we're only just waking up to it, being reminded of it again now. At the moment that we could once again recreate it, that's what's interesting because we have now an internet. We have now the ability to, to share and to communicate and to like have direct democracy and to have ways that we can trust each other online and all this stuff. And I don't, you know, I can, these are fantasies, so I can get a little bit excited and I, you know, and I, then I have friends of mine who say, Bruce, the, the, the answer isn't in like more electronics and more stuff. It's more about going back to nature. Maybe that's true too. But what I see is this moment that we're in now where basically we're, we're at a crux point. We're at the fulcrum and it could go either way. And, and we're, nobody seems to have the right answer. And it feels to me that in those forests is an answer. And I just, I just want to be a part of sharing that because I think that when you hear it for the first time, you're like, something shifts inside of you. You're like, wow, okay, that's interesting. And it, I mean, it, the first reaction is often to just dismiss it as just romantic nonsense. Mm. But then when you start unpicking the, the tools and the, and the philosophies around it and the ideas around it, and... And yeah, I, I that's where my head goes. I get I, I get excited. That's my little fantasy. That's my little. It's possible. We can do it. We yeah. can actually do it. I believe so, and I I think it actually is such a boron narrative. That I mean, that was my whole dream for my project was like, let's create a media space where there's just way more stories of different ways of living and being, and just showing 
that there is more to who we are. I think that just is huge jumping off point to everything. And I'm so glad you're grounding also into that egalitarianism because it's a powerful just statement of awareness that this is a way we have been for so long and it's the way some people still have been very you know at this moment or very recently even though things are still changing for them it's just so powerful for people to to know and it's like so wild how how little it's still talked about and how little it's still really out there but it's still it's breaking through and um Something you mentioned with the uh, Benjeli was the spirit and and recognizing actually the spirit was there. And I think that's something um, perhaps if you've actually spent time in these different cultures or or even you could experience it, I mean, anywhere. I think I experienced it as a child in Wales. But um, it's there's something powerful when a whole community recognizes it and you sense it and you feel it and then you... It's like, don't take it, be cynical and, and then hopefully you can try and experience it because once you experience it, it's like you can't also deny it. You could use your scientific brain to be like, well, I experienced something here that is not just on the material realm. But could you speak a little bit about, I mean, also with your journey with the BBC, I mean, just entering into those realms must have been really fascinating <laughs> going back and forth. Into the what to the realms of the BBC or the realms oh, of well realms of spirit, but then experiencing that while you're working for the BBC or as you're entering back and forth. Crazy. Can I can I um, answer to something you were saying there as well, which yeah. um, I was going to say earlier, but I forgot. Um, uh, was the yeah? So having made this film and having sort of talked about going on podcasts and and sort of like giving talks at festivals and trying to get the word out about egalitarianism and how powerful that's been for me. I, ha I have noticed that people sometimes just glaze over and that it's like, it just feels so far away that they, that they just think it's romantic nonsense. Either that or it's such a different paradigm. It's trying to, to tell a fish what it's like to climb a tree. It's like, yeah. it just, it just, they can't grapple with it. And, and in a sense, that has also um, basically uh, spurred me in my journey to to try and recreate it. It's like I realized in my, as a filmmaker, that uh, actually it's it's not landing. And the only way that I can probably really make it land is by trying to create that in my own life somehow. So that's another thing that I'm basically doing now. I mean, it, I'm struggling with it because it's like, it, I need a startup and it's like, it, you know, I'm, I'm in this house now. I still got to pay off a little bit, but basically the, the, the dream is to like give that away and to explore these new ideas around ownership and, and hierarchy and decision-making and conflict resolution, all this sort of stuff, but really through the prism of egalitarianism and to try and do that here with a group of people. Um, and, and then that same seed that I received when I was with the Penan which I feel I'm carrying and I need to put in the ground somewhere. It's not, it's not about words. It has to be, it has to grow. It has to become something. And then that can then spread and become its own virus that travels the world in a beautiful way. Um, 
And so that that's also where I got to in my journey is like, I actually have to do this. And like, you know, I, <laughs> I, I do put myself on a bit of a pedestal with, with these words, but, you know, it, it, I am in the process of trying to do that now. I've still got teething problems, but it's basically where I'm at um, in my life. Uh, but to, and, and weirdly, I might also be going back to the BBC okay. uh, to, do, to do some stuff. It's not confirmed yet, so don't jinx it. Not you. <laughs> don't jinx it, Bruce. Don't jinx it, listeners. Don't jinx it, anyone. You know, I'm hoping that I might go back because I realise that there is a power in the voice that I had there that, yes. that would be good with this new learning that I have to try and find my way back into those corridors because I think that the, you know, there is something in that. But yeah, my journey, I was lucky because I moved to the island of Ibiza, which, which, um, a lot of people go, what? What do you want to do living there? That sounds like the most horrendous island on the planet. In all honesty, it's one of my favorite places I've ever been. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable place. Its reputation is atrocious and people can go there and have the most horrendous holidays. But like beneath the surface, the people who are of that island and the people who decided to live there, uh, that I know anyway, uh, are some of the most special people I've ever met. So I um, I was lucky that when I was having these journeys of visiting the various tribal groups and going down the Amazon or going around the Arctic, I wasn't coming back to the UK. I was yes. going to I was going to Ibiza, and that was a wholly different experience than if than if I'd been going back to let's say London or Somerset or something. Um, it was like even if people did know me, they they didn't pay any attention. It was like I, I wasn't caught up in the sort of celebrity lifestyle i wasn't caught up in any of that nonsense and and abitha is very much a sort of right hemispheric space you know maybe too much <laughs> um, it's uh it's it's not very grounded often um full of stunningly beautiful people uh <laughs> thinking they're manifesting everything in their life and <laughs> and you know all of that sort of stuff uh, i don't know what costa rica's like um uh, but yeah, I loved it there, but it was, so I didn't have to, I didn't have to, I didn't struggle too much with the coming back home, um, in that sense. Cause I was very lucky where I lived. Mm-hmm. And, and what that was, answers, that answers your question. Well, what was your experience like with spirit? Like you mentioned, like you saw it with a Ben Jelly, like. Oh, what was my experience like with spirit? Well, I've had, I've had many. I've had many. Um, I mean, even in the film, you see me go at the Comello. I mean, I was like, I had, I had about six hours of unity consciousness at that, in that time. Wow. I did, I did the Comello, um, the sort of the bathing day twice. And it's not the one that you see me on camera. I go and do it again later. And the words you hear... I planted over the images, but I did it then. I did it another time without the cameras, and just a friend. And I'm holding hands onto the one of the sadhus. And basically, that time, I I'm not stuck in my head so much. I can enter into my into my body more, and um, I basically am the universe for about six hours. It's like wow, unbelievable. Because you think like the sadhus, they've got they've got no possessions. <laughs> They're the best meditators on the planet. All they've been thinking about for like the last six months 
is this next cum that's coming up in because they happen every three years. Um, so that's that all their focus is on that, and then it comes to the eighth day itself, and they're all naked and they're all just walking to the river to go and wash. And so, you know, as far as like the the, the you know the material understanding that our brains and all of our consciousness is just happening inside our skulls just doesn't answer to your experience when you consider what the experience I had, which is basically tapping into the auras and overlapping energies of every single one of those naked sadhus who all just had one focus. And then you just slipstream into that. It's like all of these overlapping conscious brains all just in one bubble all focusing on the river and then you just you are it you are and then I was the clouds I was the sky I was the horses and the people and the sand and the dirt and I was everything there was no me and it was just pure joy just pure explosive I just remember laughing and laughing going and I, I didn't bother recording anything. I didn't bother because it's like nothing matters. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, oh my God, I, you know, it's like, who cares? I don't need it. Just nothing. It's like, you know, it was just pure bliss for that whole period. <laughs> so, I'm so glad you described that because you can't tell from the outside looking in that that's what you're experiencing. But that, like when I've had those kind of experiences, you d- you think it's obvious from the outside. Can you not see what's happening right now? But I think it's good for people to hear as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've been very lucky and I've drunk a lot of different medicines around the place and I've had some extraordinary moments. Um, I mean, like extraordinary moments uh, of just deep wisdom and insight and, you know, uh, ranging from just unbelievable crying and tears of uh, just the deepest, deepest level of gratitude for just being alive and just the the profundity of uh, just realizing that you are alive and just how emotional that is all the way through to literally being born in uh, and going through the birthing canal of of my own birth and having this extraordinary pain around my neck and then in my uh, umbilical uh, in my uh, belly button and this whole journey of basically what I later found out was reliving my birth where my umbilicus was was caught around my neck and releasing so much that had been affecting me my whole life of of this fear that let go of but i mean and that's a, there's a lot more to that story but that was really big um other times where i've i remember one time i was like God, i was drinking in ibiza and i went out i couldn't stay in the in the dome so i went out and like lay down on the ground and for some reason i sort of like had to do a starfish of like legs and arms open really wide and then and then like I, my mouth starts opening and I'm like, this is really weird. I've got to like close my mouth, but I'm no, I can't actually close my mouth. It's just opening wider and wider. I'm like, this is so weird. And then looking up at the starry sky and then looking at all the stars that start moving. And then it's like being underneath the plug, watching everything start swirling and swirling and swirling like into a twister. And then they just all come down and then just 
pour through my mouth. And so I'm like literally lying with the whole universe just literally swirling around and then just going straight through me and then just me exploding and you know so that sort of stuff <laughs> I love I love when you share those kind of experiences and stories because it's like yeah anyone who gets it gets <laughs> who've experienced similar things but like it's like a wish like of course it'd be amazing if everyone could have at least one experience like that to break apart their the conditioned mind and just because once you experience it it's a whole other thing than just like hearing about it or um yeah talking about it but yeah like I'm guessing you didn't drink medicine with the Ben jelly but I don't know like but you said you saw the spirit it was definitely a spirit like what is that like could you describe what that was like or well, what, what that ben is? Jelly. yeah interestingly um I have felt the the thing, yeah. So there's many occasions when I felt um, sort of dissolved into a tree, or in deep meditation, felt um, very expansive, and yeah. And I, I could list m more and more examples of those sorts of little tales I just gave you now, especially with the tribes as well. Actually, just coming back to me now. Um, but with the Benjeli, yeah, that thing that I said earlier about this this entity comes out of the forest and it is a spirit, maybe that's a bit of a red herring because the, the reason I say that is because um because it <laughs> this is gonna be confusing. Uh, because it is a spirit, and the reason it is a spirit is because because Having been into the men's area um, and knowing what happens, uh, I'm everyone who's gone into the men's area will come out and will tell you that it is a spirit, mm -hmm. and I can't tell you any more than that, yeah, but um. But what what happens when what happens when we all hold that story is that for those who haven't had the privilege of going into the men's area, but they hear us all unified and telling you that it is a spirit, um, regardless of what it is that we've seen, what everyone experiences on the outside is a sense of wonder, is a sense of magic is a sense of possibility and you know I remember listening to Richard Dawkins saying how terrible it was that kids are told that Father Christmas can go around the world and, and you know and that this should be stamped out because it's illogical and incorrect and I guess what what I'm tapping into subtly here is that actually what's really needed culturally is this sense of wonder. It's essential to us, actually. Yeah. It allows us to soften this sort of analytical left hemisphere and allow, it's just another tool in all of the toolboxes that we have for bringing about our ability to feel more deeply once again. And when you feel more deeply, you can decide what you're, for yourself what spirit is, but at least you're feeling, you're feeling you're, you're in your body 
to me, uh, you saw it in the film, the, the, the thing above all of this, you know, I can't tell you if any of these experiences that I've had are real or if it's just manifestations of my own brain. I can't tell you that. But what I can say is, having analysed these deeply, is that I feel that this is a certain way of experiencing the world that allows for greater harmony for us to live together as beings. That's what I believe in. And I could argue forever the toss of whether it's true or not. It doesn't matter. What's the best way we can live together? And here's a group of people that have found all these tools. And it's quite possible that it's real too. <laughs> yeah. Not for me to say that it's true with a capital T. It doesn't matter what's the best way we can live together. And it's quite clear that this, this sort of like material paradigm that we have is killing the planet. It's killing everything. And that's not the best way. Here are groups of people who have other answers to that. And we can argue the toss about whether it's true or real or not. Look at how they live. That's what I'm interested in. Get, we don't, none of us know the truth of it. What's important is what's working, I think. And, and reality is also undefinable. It's like a moving thing. It's like constantly expanding through science or awareness anyway. But then also just like you mentioned earlier, we each have our perspective and sense of reality of the world. And is there a fundamental reality? <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. Like we're all walking through different realms of experience. And I think when you, when you say like, yeah, like what's best for humanity, but also what's best for ourselves. I know when I embrace magic in my day-to-day -day life and I see like trees talking to me and I see like all of these things that could be, you know, categorized as um insane or just you know going off on the deep end I feel much better and so I don't really care you know it's like the vocabulary around these folk tales and these mythologies that we had also in our deep ancestry it was a beautiful frame of reference to walk through through life and to see things more clearly and actually get a different understanding of how things relate to us and you can even break it down scientifically how some indigenous groups how they relate to spirits and how they relate is actually very functional for their survival and for like you could break it down in a very materialistic sense or oh, this is why they do that or this is why they believe that or so on um, but in the end there is something also a little bit more than that just pure survival there is something a little bit more than just, just that yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we are all just having the best guess. Um, and, you know, in the, the practice that I have, I guess, is a little bit, you know, the Buddha always talks about the middle way. I don't see much middle way in Buddhism. I see quite a lot of, quite, quite, I take that back. I've learned so much from Buddhism. It's <laughs> I, get what, I get what you're I'm saying. Gonna have a, I'm not going to have a pot shot. It's like, <laughs> It's just well, cheap and well, not necessary. But let, let's just talk about what I think of as a middle way. Um, is yeah, it's, it's like it's balancing these things out. You know, it, it, you heard earlier about this of what Ian said about the, the phases of consciousness. That feels to me like a middle way. It answers to the spirit realm and the material realm. Here's something that answers to both. That's cool. And likewise, I've had. I've had periods of my life with the most extraordinary magical thinking, where every single thing 
in my life as a gift. Every single butterfly landing and ant walking past is full of meaning. And it's like, it, you know, it's just so phenomenal. And you, you feel like you're just on a conveyor belt going through life with gifts coming out of the universe. And even the worst possible thing that happens to you is like the best gift imaginable is the way of thank you for this offering for so that I can learn more. You know, just what an extraordinary way of living life. It's, it's, it's just a complete dream. And yet at the same time, I've also been caught out by that. If I get caught up too much in it and then I'm not grounding it in something that is relative to everyone else's experience. And so to me, again, it's like bringing it back. It's like, I don't want to go too far down one rabbit hole because that can, that, that, that can be untrue to my experience of life in another way i need to always be balancing and i need to always be saying okay here's the material arm here's the spirit arm here's here's how how am i going to walk this tightrope holding both feeling deeply about the pain of the world but not feeling so deeply that i'm completely incapacitated and or not or, or avoiding not feeling at all, in which case I make the most horrendous decisions. You know, I need to be holding both at all times. And that is spirit and matter and it's feeling and it's action and, and just never letting go, always having them both. Every decision has to have all of them in it. And that's what I feel is, is, is balance, is the middle way. Yes. And I think what you mentioned with Ibiza, it's kind of like in some ways it's kind of ahead of the curve in terms of what a lot of the quote unquote conscious spiritual community is spread out in terms of like, which has become very normal now to talk about manifesting everything and living in that way. And there is a sense sometimes of it being ungrounded because when I, again, I've had the privilege of sitting with indigenous groups who have that expansive but they also have a very grounded way of being on the earth and of being with people and and food and so on and it's also in in Wales where I grew up like it's um magical and beautiful when you look at the old stories and the way of believing in fairies or spirits and so on but there is also this very grounded sense of like rock and rain and <laughs> weather and just um in the soul of the people as well, I think. It's like there's a bit of a, a balance like there in that. Um... I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky where I've landed. There's, a, there's this wonderful village or town just up the road called McCunkless. And, you know, I, you know there's lots of, there's lots of uh, sort of like new agey hubs around the UK and, you know, around the world, but like um, where you have centers of alternative minded people and they'll be full of retreat centers and all the, the stuff that goes with them. And, and, and they're amazing and we can all be in those bubbles and learn so much and really connect to our um, hearts actually, and, and, and do a lot of healing. And, and I'm so grateful for the times that I've spent in those hubs or those bubbles. Um, but I like, this one that's near me called Mac because it, fit, it strikes me it's like it's like that it's alternative but its sleeves are really rolled up and there's definitely dirt under the nails and like people are engaged with the land it's not just running courses and and um, retreats and it's actually it's it's work too and I think that's what I notice with the tribal people it's like they 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 have 
they're guided by spirit, but they're they're busy working too. And like, if we just get too far in one way or another, we're out of balance. And that's yes. it. You know, that yes. is it. And as as you know, as you pointed out, yeah, there's there are a lot of um, new age communities that are not grounded, and and it's not healthy actually. And you do need to be engaged with the land, and only when you're really engaged with the land. Do you suddenly realize your lifestyle and the effect it's having? Because you know, we can be we can be we can get very carried away with thinking that we're not doing any harm by being the perfect yogi vegan and actually causing all sorts of problems yeah. through not really engaging with um the things that we're consuming and where they're coming from and all that sort of stuff. And recognizing it doesn't look a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way to play the conscious spiritual. Like some of the, like even when you mentioned with the Penan and many tribes today, I think it's like a bit of a sadness for people. Oh, they're wearing our clothes or they're smoking a cigarette or whatever. But it's like, it's less about what they're wearing or what, you know, what they're doing. But like that, what you touched on with the Penan people is the feeling. There's something a lot deeper there. And I think, my, I'm always like, I feel just it, itching to go deeper. Like there's something deeper underneath the surface of all of it and not being afraid to do that either because it's also a very British thing. Don't go off on the deep end. <laughs> don't, don't lose yourself. We're terrible. We're terrible. Yeah, it, there, there is, there is, there is a danger in, in some of these areas and some of these spaces, these rarefied spaces of, of avoiding the shadow work, mm-hmm. you know, keeping everything in the light, only hanging out with high vibe people, all that sort of stuff, beautiful, high vibe, everything's <laughs> flowing. And like, it's, it's not the answer in my, in my understanding. Yeah. Or being in judgment of people who are still, you know, quote unquote, part of the matrix or part of the old way. It's like somehow, like the work you're doing in terms of communicating, actually wanting to reach out to all people, wanting to like... like, I mean, like how can we talk about oneness in one sentence and then just be so exactly. judgmental? I mean, it's like that amazing documentary series, Wild Wild Country. I mean, it's just, which you must have seen. Right, the, yes. The Osho one, yes. Osho, like, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, of course, my heart goes much more towards the Rajneesh Purim community they they just seem so wonderful but there's such a blind spot there Mm. of their shadow and we have to be all very careful about that talking about all this amazing stuff with one hand and then literally poisoning your neighbor with another it's like unbelievable sort of blind spot and (laughs) we we, we have to (laughs) we have to all be really careful of that we have to be so careful because like it's like the two vehicles of buddhism isn't it it's like you know either you can have it enlightenment by just doing the work yourself or the one that I'm much more into is like you can only become enlightened when everyone's enlightened mm. and that like yes yes that makes yeah. so much sense to me it's like the work is here and you know maybe you don't want to come maybe you do want to just leave this world and never come back and that's cool if that's really what's going on mm. but actually I would quite like to come back. I think it's amazing. We've got this is like, <laughs> at, least, at least my offspring and their offspring have like still tigers and jaguars and and forests and things to visit. You know, let's not just party our way to destruction. It's like let's try and keep this gig going. It's amazing. Yes. It's amazing. Let's let's 
let's work let's really engage and work and like that means also leaving our bubbles and the work is out you know it's good to be in the bubble we've got to go and do our healing have our 40 days in the desert and go and do our stuff but we actually also have to get back out into the world and bring those gifts and hold ourselves steady in the face of people with very different views and love them yes and i'm excited to see how yeah your work keeps um like Tawai keeps spreading because I think it will reach more people um, as things open up. And then for your personal journey as well to actually experience community building, which is probably one of the hardest things to actually do in, in life. But I think um, what we've, everything we've touched upon, it has to, we have to have that agreement to do our own deep shadow work and take responsibility for ourselves. And if you have certain things in place I think communities can thrive and we can find ways to um, be here better together and it's not about idealistic perfection or I don't know the romantic the, the criticism that always gets thrown out as being too romantic or too idealistic but it's just knowing that there are better ways than what we have right now <laughs> which for sure Surely, and romance let's have loads of it yes yeah <laughs> Yeah. Like, it was even said to me also it's a bit romantic as there's nothing wrong with romantic doesn't mean not true yes i love but that when i was so, talking about the panan it's like uh, people say it's like it was, he was like romantic doesn't necessarily mean it's not true it's just amazing it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm down with that it's yeah. amazing banana are amazing to me and I'm, that's not overly romantic they you know they can't, they can't even prove that they've been where they live for like tens of thousands of years. They've got no evidence of them having been there. I mean, like, that's amazing. Yeah. Who else do I know of that, <laughs> any other group that I've ever lived with that can say that? Yeah. None. It's pretty, that's, I've got a, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've had a heavy state of romance with the Panam. Yeah. <laughs> Good reason. I'm glad you're owning it because I, I hate that criticism as well. It's kind of like, in terms of like how you want to choose reality, a romantic reality is, uh, I think, a pretty good one to choose. Yay. Yay. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like, I mean, we've gone in so many different directions, but I feel like we could have gone in so many other directions. There's so much to explore when you go off on the deep end. Um, but I, yeah, I, where would you like people to find you right now in on your journey where would i like them to find me as in physically or like <laughs> like social media website yeah <laughs> um i um i guess i guess i'm on instagram bruce perry tribe but i'm not doing a lot on that i i'm on facebook um what else there's the I think that the thing that uh I would like people to see if they if they hopefully soon I'm gonna make Tawai free. There's a there's a website called Tawai.earth. Um and you can sort of find ways at the moment you still have to pay a little bit, but I'm trying to sort of pay off our debts and stuff um so that I can put it out for free. Um which I'm still struggling with a little bit, but hopefully soon. And uh and then on that website as well, you'll see the Benjelli uh, extras. So that's, uh, you have to look up next, I think. And then it's got Tawai 2 Benjelli. Benjelli spelled so weirdly, 
MD. Yeah. I was scared to say it. <laughs> so you'll find it. But anyway, that's the one that we were talking about where you see the really powerful women doing the stuff if people want or inspired by the words that we've shared together. That would be one to look at if they've if they're interested. Um one last yeah, what, one last question is, how has your, your brother ever since his ayahuasca experience? Oh, you watched that one as well, did yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, that was, that the, was the other, other extra. extra. That's right. Oh, I'm so pleased you watched them. Thank you for taking the time to do that. It's yeah. really good, that, extra, that ayahuasca extra, isn't it? It's a really yeah. good, I think it's really filmed well. I, I'm quite... It showed it well. Yeah, I'm really pleased with that one. And Kahujali, the, the shaman that we go to, is a dear friend who I miss. Um, yeah, he's good. Thank you. Yeah, he's in Hong Kong at the moment, struggling with the, all the madness going on out there. But no, he's good. And like, yeah, he had a profound experience. He, he wasn't really in a social group to be able to continue it in the way that um, that uh, he could have, but it's still there. And so mm -hmm. I think it's going gonna, it's it's gonna to come back. You know, I haven't seen him for a while. He's been away. And I think that's something you kind of touched upon several times. It really helps to have that group to come back to, that integration. So it's not just a drug or a thing that you yeah. separate from reality. It's a really important time, I think, for us all to integrate and learn how to bring this through the collective and through all realms. Yeah, I mean, that's another whole conversation there, isn't it? No, I totally agree. It's like... I was very lucky that I found my bubbles where I could basically reinvent myself into yeah. the new new me. And, and so until you get to a stage whereby, okay, this is me now, and then you can go back out into the world. And I guess I've kind of done that a few times. It's like, you know, I equated it earlier to the 40 days in the desert kind of thing, but that's how I see it. It's like you shed your skin, find your new self so that you can go and be with your peer group who who would otherwise tease you and if you don't have the capacity to hold true then you can easily slip back into your old self so it Definitely. is good to it is good to go and find your group to to grow with but yeah. it's also as i said earlier it's also our work to leave those and get back into the world when we're when we're ready to have both i think yeah yeah Oh, well, thank you so much for joining this conversation and I'll link everything. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> thank you for listening. If you received a lot from this conversation or knowledge share, consider supporting us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. This can be found at patreon.com forward slash gathering. You can also make a one-time donation directly on our website, soulseedgathering.com. It is here you can also become a Soul Seed House member and receive these conversations and interviews first, alongside bonus content, transcripts, and this incredible growing library of deep feminine earth-based cultural knowledge. You can also become a Patreon Bloom Fund member. This allows you to support a country or culture or theme or focus that is needing greater awareness and attention in the world we are entirely independently funded so far so thank you for every single amount offered to us 
It really means so much. And a special thanks to our post-production by Jack Palmer for Alma Chrome. And special thanks to Temple of the Way of Light for offering us this recording by Olivia Aravello, the incredible Shabibo medicine woman, no longer with us, sharing her Ikoro, her medicine song. This was weaved into an incredible track by Jack Palmer. So again, thank you and sending so much love to wherever you are in the world. Thank you.